Alrighty, you guys. Hello, AOC PM&R. We are doing an interview today with Dr. Nicolette Finger. Um, my name is Leah, and we've got Aria here as well. Um, we'll be asking some questions. Um, Dr. Nicolette, do you want to go ahead and give yourself a little intro? Sure, yeah. Um, so I am Nicolette Finger. I am a DO, um, PGY3, almost PGY4 at UT San Antonio, specializing in physical medicine and rehabilitation. Awesome. And what med school did you go to and when did you graduate? I went to TCOM in Fort Worth, so associated with the University of North Texas, um, and I graduated in 2020. Cool. Yeah. So we had a little icebreaker for you. Um, so if you had to choose a medical instrument, what medical instrument would you be? I mean, I think I would be a reflex hammer because <laughs> we're PM&R. Um, and I feel like like I don't even really use a stethoscope anymore, to be <laughs> honest, unless I'm on the consult service. Like once they're over in rehab, I'm like, or in the outpatient world, don't really use a stethoscope. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. That's so cute. Little hammers. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> Okay, so how did you learn about the PM&R field when you were a medical student, or did you learn about it before? And can you kind of describe your journey in discovering and matching in the specialty? Absolutely. Um, so I actually originally went into medical school wanting to go into OBGYN, and um, I had done everything like research, all this stuff for OBGYN. During my third year of medical school, I set it as my first rotation so that, you know, cause I thought that's what I was going to do. And luckily it was my first rotation because two weeks in, I decided that that just was not the field for me, nothing against the field at all, but it just was not, it, I wasn't going home excited or like thinking, oh my gosh, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And I'm definitely, um, an idealist in the sense that I want to feel that way. I want to come home so excited and just like you know, telling my husband how wonderful um, work was. And so I kind of had a like mid med school crisis, I guess, where I thought I, sh I probably shouldn't have gone to medical school because I didn't want to do the thing that I went to school for. Um, and so I told my my now husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, told him, I don't, you know, I don't know what I want to do anymore. Um, I don't like OBGYN. And he connected with me, me with his roommate who was doing PM&R. I was so lucky that his roommate had a wonderful mentor, um, Dr. Omar Salad, that I, I still attribute so much of my success to. And he connected me with Dr. Salad. And I just showed up one day at Dr. Salad's office and was like, let me pick your brain about the specialty. Um, actually, like a, a funny story is that I was, I was already in my third year. People had already you know, set their rotations for third year. I was, I guess, you know, late to the game um, or later than other people at my school. And so Dr. Salad had no more, uh, no more um, rotations available that year. Um, and he was just kind of telling me, you know, I'm sorry, I don't have any more room to take any other students. And his secretary like walked in the room as soon as he said that and said someone had canceled their rotation. And so I just looked at him and, and was like, I'm, I'm taking it like that is mine. That's my month. Um, and so we still to this day laugh at how uh, it just felt very like meant to be. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really lucky. I After that, I really just fell in love with the field and never looked back. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I know that that's a story that a lot of people can relate to, especially like having that mid-med school crisis of what do I want to do? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, as we know, PM&R is a pretty diverse field. Um, what are you, some of your specific interests in PM&R and what makes you lean more towards that? So right now I'm thinking more outpatient musculoskeletal, specifically spasticity and like headache management. Um, I really love doing like headache procedures. So Botox migraine, occipital nerve blocks. Um, I also love other procedures like trigger point injections, you know, things like that, that really like make your patient feel better right then and there. I think I get so much joy from the immediate satisfaction that they get and then the buy-in that they get because now they trust you. Um, and so then implementing lifestyle factors seems to be easier because they kind of look at you like, okay, you really did make me feel better right now today when I came to see you. And so maybe what you say is true. Um, and then they, they seem to implement like those lifestyle factors that we promote so much easier um, after having that immediate satisfaction. But I think in the long run, my dream job in PM&R would probably be to be medical director and attending of an inpatient rehab unit. I just don't know if that fits my lifestyle goals right out of residency. I want to have, you know, God willing, I'd, I'd have some young kids at that time. Um, and so kind of thinking about structuring my work around the life that I want outside of work as well. Um, so that's probably later in life is the medical director thing. <laughs> no, that's awesome. amazing though, especially we just need doctors in health administration right now. Um, so that's really amazing to hear. Um, yeah. I think you kind of mentioned some interactions with patients. Um, what are some of your favorite moments as a resident that helped reaffirm your aspirations to become a physiatrist? So like during med, med school? Or even like more of so a residency, like just interactions with any patients that specifically come to mind that you just really enjoyed or even in med school too as well. Yeah, um, I actually have a, a very recent story for that. So I had a patient, very young, healthy young man. He was a weightlifter um, who had an, a left MCA stroke. It was an acute, you know, ischemic stroke. Um, they, they really just called it cryptogenic at this point. They tried to rule everything out and, and couldn't find any other um, etiology for this stroke. Some suspect that he was taking like a workout supplement that could have caused it, but even that wasn't definitive. But he had very bad aphasia, very um, clear, expressive aphasia, meaning he could he could understand everything that you were saying, but couldn't verbalize, you know, any anything that he want or wanted to say. And that becomes really frustrating for the patients. So you can tell, you know, that they understand, um, but they can't. Everything that they say is just like, you know, mumbo jumbo, and. Um, I started singing in the room with him because I had a little extra time that day. You know, it's not all the time that we have as residents time to like sit down and do something with a patient. Sometimes it's just like you're in and out of the room as fast as you can because you have a million other things to do. But I had some extra time that day and I told him, hey, everyone knows happy birthday. We're just going to start singing happy birthday. And I like awkwardly sat there singing it like three times in a row and he was not doing anything like he was just like listening to me. But on the fourth time, he started singing with me, um, like clear as day, like no, you know, 
no aphasia present at all in the moment of his of his singing um and his family was in the room and so like him and his family all just started crying realizing that there was a way for him to verbalize you know things um and if, if that's not something that you or you know any listeners listening haven't looked into look into music therapy it's it's really cool you can you start with like automatic things that people know you know um songs that people know which is why I chose happy birthday um and then you start teaching them how to like replace words with what they're trying to say uh because that is in a different part of the brain singing is in a different part of the brain brain as speech and so that was just a really fulfilling thing um I got to take care of him for two weeks in inpatient rehab and he progressed really really well and so that is definitely one of those moments that you think this is this is why I came into this field that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that story with us. It's beautiful. Like I can't imagine how inspiring it was to be in that room. Um, so in terms of your curriculum and residency, do you mind giving us a quick rundown of your program curriculum from PGY 2 to 4? Yeah, absolutely. So at UT San Antonio, we are a categorical program. So we, we also have our intern year attached. Um, which is just in short, it's very PMNR focused. Um, we only do one month of PMNR because of requirements that we have to meet, but other rotations are like ortho, neurology, um, you know, very PMNR focused. Then starting our PGY two year, of course, it's like intern year all over again, because now you're like a repeat intern for PMNR. Um, and we do a lot of inpatient, our PGY two year. Um, so it kind of goes like, if you look at it from a broad scale, there's like intern year, which is a mix of things, PGY two, which is mostly inpatient, um, PGY three, which is a pretty even split of inpatient and outpatient. And then our PGY four, which is pretty heavily outpatient. Um, though all years consist of like a little of everything. That's basically the general trend, um, kind of referring to call days we take more call as you know in the early years and then it progresses a little bit less and more of a supervisory role as we move into pgy4 years so for example pgy2 year we take 24-hour call it sounds harsh but you know you can go home during the day and you can close your eyes and, and rest at night it's just that you have to answer any calls or see any patients that have acute needs um and then, and so that's PGY2. PGY3 year, you do a little bit of that, um, but you also do some backup call, meaning you're the resident that the resident who's on call is going to call if they need any help or need extra pair of hands. And then PGY4 year, we um, are pretty much strictly backup call. So you're, you're just helping those that are already on call, almost as like an, um, you know, like a, a practicing attending, right? Um, and so we kind of get more and more autonomous as the years go on, uh, which I think is is really helpful to gear us up for attending attending life. Awesome. Um, so right now, you're um, can you give us a description of what your day is like in as a PMNR resident? Yeah. So it definitely depends on what rotation you're on, but I can speak pretty broadly to like each type of rotation. So if you're an inpatient rotation, you're going to show up usually six, seven in the morning and um, round on all of your patients, whether your attending wants you to pre-round or round altogether is just rotation specific. And then we typically have some sort of a family, uh, uh, 
sorry, not family, a team meeting with all of the therapists, the nurses, um, and the physicians. And we talk about each of our patients, um, goals for the day, you know, when patients are going to discharge. And then we meet with our attending to talk about definitive plans for each patient. So it's very morning heavy. I, I compare inpatient rehab to just like the flow of the day being any other inpatient service on any other in any other specialty, right? And when you're inpatient, usually your your day is very morning um, heavy. And then the rest of the day after you you take care of your patients that are currently there, the rest of the day is discharges and admissions for new patients and patients leaving. Um, as well as, of course, just taking care of things as they come up for your patients that are inpatient, um, but very morning heavy. And then for those inpatient rotations, we have to stay until 5 p.m. to check out to night float. Because, of course, if a patient is staying in the hospital or staying at a facility, there has to be a physician on call. Um, and so we would have to stay to sign out to that that night float. Um, so that's pretty much all. We have spinal cord inpatient, we have a, a polytrauma inpatient, which is basically brain injury plus. So it's like brain injury plus all these other fractures, brain injury plus all these other things. So you could you could say it's a brain injury unit per se. Um, and then we have a general rehab, which is anything under the sun from liver transplants, kidney transplants, you know, cancer pre and post rehab. So um, those are our three main inpatient rehabs. On an outpatient side, you really just, it's like any other clinic. You've got patients scheduled from like eight to five, and you've got a break from 12 to one. Um, and depending on what clinic, it just depends on the type of patients you see. Um, so that's pretty much the two types of, of rotations that we have. Well, thanks for explaining that. Um, okay, so I'm also, I go to TCOM, so fellow TCOMer here. Um, there's so many Texas programs, and I mean, there's a ton of now physiatry programs all over the country. Um, what drew you to San Antonio's program specifically? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I was lucky enough to do four different away rotations. So I um, did, this was like before the COVID era. I don't know how it is anymore, but they let us do as many as we want before COVID. Um, so I did rotations at all of, or at least at as many Texas programs as I could. And the thing that really stood out to me with San Antonio was one, it was a big program. So, you know, to everyone will have their own preference, but I wanted a big program. Um, I really liked that I could learn from not only attendings, but a ton of different peers who all think differently um, and have different ideas. And that is something that I wanted. I wanted a very like collaborative environment um, and then I also loved that our program is very resident driven. So, um, you know, it, it's a good thing if you, the service hurts a little bit when the resident is gone, right? Meaning the resident was doing a lot of work. And I don't mean that in a negative way, like that we are, are just doing busy work all day. I mean, we're, we're the physicians. And so that's really important. There's of course, different types of residency programs, um, some of which, let's say you're you're gone for the day and the attending can absolutely cover on their own and, and barely even notice that you're gone. Um, personally, I learn best when I'm in charge and it's my job to do the work. 
um, because then I feel responsible. And so I wanted that. I wanted to be responsible for the patients. I wanted my patients to be mine. Of course, I'm always under the supervision of an attending and our attendings are amazing. They're always, they're very hands-on. They'll jump in and help you with notes. They'll jump in and help you with like anything that you need to get done for the day. But I feel like when I'm on, it's my service and they're my patients and it's my clinic. And I wanted to feel that way at work. Otherwise, I was going to feel like a med student standing in the corner and I didn't want to feel like that, right? Um, some people still learn really well when the pressure is not on them. Personally, I don't. Personally, I zone out. If the pressure is not on me, I'm my brain is somewhere else. Um, and so, yeah, those are those are reasons I love my program. That's awesome. It sounds like a great program. Um, no, so I think a lot of us can relate to honestly, even in med school, I'm like, if the, pre- yeah, if the pressure's off me, then I'm like, what did they say? I'm so sorry. Repeat yourself again. So thank you for sharing that because I feel like a lot of us get nervous when the spotlight is on us, which is completely normal. But I think we will surprise ourselves with how much knowledge we can actually, um, apply, you know, sorry. Arianne. Absolutely. Um, Sorry, I don't want to interrupt either, but um, I think it's so important to be at a program that has a good balance, right? You don't want to be pushed so much where you don't want the attending to be off, like enjoying their day and you're just doing all of the work, right? And and everything's on you. That's not learning. And you also don't want to be standing in the corner. That's not learning, right? There is a perfect like middle ground that, of course, everyone has to fight for and, and no program is perfect. But I really feel like um, our program and really a lot of PM&R programs, PM&R is just a great specialty. It's full of great people. It's full of faculty that want to teach. Um, so I think we've got it pretty good. Like there's pretty much all of our PM&R programs in the nation are just wonderful. Um, and we have that really good balance, right? Where the pressure is on us. But I also am not afraid to bring up to my attending if I'm overworked or if I feel overwhelmed, or if I feel like I don't know what I'm doing, and I need help. Um, Or if I just have too many notes to do, and I'm like, I don't have time to do these, right? I have no problem bringing that up to our attendings here. Um, And so that's, that's a pretty big, you know, plus, I think. I'm sure you get an idea of like that work environment, like with audition rotations and things. And you spoke a little bit about the audition rotations you did. And right now, uh, third years are in the process of applying to those through Vislo and hearing back. Do you have any advice in terms of audition rotations and what to look out for, how to do well on them? Absolutely. So I will say from a resident side, I am most impressed by um, students who are interested, show up on time, are respectful, all of those things that should be so obvious. And I hated hearing that as a med student. Because I would always think, yeah, I'm going to do that stuff. What else though, right? Like, I know I'm going to do that stuff. I know I'm going to show up on time and be interested in all that. But like, tell me like a secret, like a secret thing that is going to make me stand out. And the reality is that so many med students don't even do those basic things, right? They tell you, oh, sorry, I scheduled a workout class at three. I have to go. And you're sitting there thinking as the resident, like, I want to teach you, like, I want, I want to show you what our program has to offer. um, And you just want to leave, right? Or you're late every day. um, Or you are saying disrespectful things. Like, I think the the really amazing med students don't realize how um, 
how those simple things get missed by other med students. And so, you know, these rock star med students are looking for like the secret ingredient of being wonderful. And really the, the, the in secret ingredient is like you just being your professional, respectful self um, and being interested because those students stand out so much. Now I'll say the one thing that, that has made other med students like being on this side stand out even more so is when they pick pick things up, right? So like, I don't expect anyone to know pretty much anything their first day of the rotation. But it's really impressive when you tell a med student something and then they remember it the next day or you show them how to do a procedure. My watch is listening to me. Um, or when you show them how to do a procedure and the next day they ask a question on the procedure because they were obviously paying attention, right? Like, hey, I saw that yesterday you did X, Y, and Z. Why did you do this instead of this, right? Or I had a med student who I did a procedure and she paid attention to the supplies that I needed, asked a couple questions like, oh, which size needle do you usually use, blah, blah, blah. And the next time I did it, she had it ready for me. So those things, picking picking things up along the rotation are, are like, that is cherry on top. Like that is super, super impressive. And that's not something you have to do from day one. It's just something that, hey, as you go through this month, start picking up and noticing these little things. That's great advice. I'm sure that's going to take people very far in their rotations. <laughs> no, definitely. I appreciate that. And I mean, yeah, it's it's true because I feel like a lot of students are always wanting to know the secret <laughs> ingredient to everything. But I mean, yeah, true. If, if you're a good student, then that's all that really matters and it'll shine through. Um. Okay, kind of more of a fun question. Um, I feel like a lot of people know you from good old Instagram. <laughs> Can you kind of talk about your journey going through like social media platform and how your Instagram grew and maybe the, how that's even affected you as a physician? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was interviewing for residency, I really didn't talk about it with anyone. I just kind of let it be um, like if, if people saw, uh, me on social media than they did, I didn't do the thing where like, I changed my name. I know a lot of med students will like change their name on, um, Facebook or Instagram or something. So as not to be found, I think that's fine. I think, um, if you're, my personal recommendation would be not to do that, um, uh, because people can still find you. And then it might be a red flag. Like, why is their name different? Like, are they trying to hide something? But I think that it's totally fine to set everything on private. Like if you want everything put on private, then that's that's totally fine. And that doesn't raise any red flags, right? It's just like, oh, that, that person wants their privacy. Um, but at least for me, I found a lot of worth in networking through social media. Um, for medicine specifically, Twitter is like really big. I mean, people hashtag med, med Twitter or med student Twitter and help each other a lot with networking. I even got an interview for residency from Twitter. Um, I was like messaged by one of the faculty members at a residency program and they asked, Hey, have you interviewed with us? And I said, actually, I haven't heard back. Like I applied, but I haven't heard back from your program. And then the next day I got an invite for an interview. So like that, if you're, if your persona on social media is positive and is representative of what is on your application, you have nothing to worry about. People are so worried about um, 
being unprofessional or somebody judging them for what they have. If your hobbies section of your CV says that you like to run and hike and go camping and somebody looks at your social media and they see you running and hiking and camping, that is only going to make you that much more of a real human being, right? And is is quite literally an extension of your application because now they feel like they know you. I'm sure we've all had um, the like phenomena where we feel like we know people we follow on social media. That happens in interviews, right? So if somebody has seen you on social media and now you're interviewing at their program or later in life for an attending job, they're going to feel like they know you more than they really do, which is in your benefit. Um, because what people are more likely to choose, vote for, hire people that they feel like they know. Um, and so I am all about uh, social media, obviously. I, I kind of went off track there. But I think as far as how I got involved, mine started as a way to share like healthy recipes. And then later when I got into medicine, I just wanted to share more of my life. Um, and so then that's how I kind of got into to that side of things. That's awesome. I love your account. Um, especially, uh, we'll shout you out at the end too, but y'all, she has great medical advice out there, like, but also social life as well. Um, you have, you have dogs, right? Two dogs. I've got a cat. Oh, a cat. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're okay. I should know this. <laughs> That's totally fine. I wasn't a cat person until I got my own cat. And then I was like, now I'm in love. But best. I think I'm just a my cat person. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you have great advice that you always share on there and who to follow and what to trust on the internet, what not to trust. You're definitely one of those people that I would always go to for trustworthy information. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I actually first ran into your um, like platform on TikTok. And you have a pretty solid platform going there too and it's very relatable content I definitely appreciate when I see it on there thank you I appreciate that yeah um so I know initially you talked a little bit about COVID and how it affected um, audition rotations how do you think COVID has affected the field of PM&R if it has I think it um so during COVID I feel like is is different than like how it affected PM&R as a whole, right, moving forward. I think during COVID, the residents that were trying to graduate residency got a little short end of the stick because they missed some procedures, right? Because a lot of these elective, like Botox for migraine, those types of procedures that, yes, that met, that patient can be managed instead on just medications that can be sent virtually over a telemedicine vi visit. Those procedures were kind of skipped. But now those have all come back. I mean, we, we are not seeing, at least here in San Antonio, we're not seeing any um, decreased number of like procedures or anything like that. I will say that a positive thing, which is kind of what I feel like is maybe the only lasting effect that I've, I've kind of noticed is um, more telemedicine. In PM&R, it's hard to do that in general. And there's really not a ton of telemedicine that we can do but it opened the door for like follow-up visits, right? When you really just need to check on a patient to make sure that things are on track for the plan that you've set out. Um, and while previously telemedicine just wasn't really done as much, now we're able to implement that. So of course, if you're doing like 
spasticity injections on a patient, you can't see them on a, as a telemedicine, but you might be able to follow up in two weeks after the injections to say, Hey, I just want to ask, like, how are you doing? Is there any redness? Or did you have any like pain at the site, any bruising, and just checking up to make sure that the patient's still doing well, and then still seeing them in person, you know, at the three month mark or, or something like that. But it's really opened the door for those virtual follow up visits. That's awesome. Yeah, telemedicine is definitely changing the way medicine's delivered. It's great. Um, and then this is, I mean, it's semi-similar to that, but um, are you working on any research projects that's kind of come out of COVID maybe? Or um, are you more interested in like, I know you mentioned kind of the academic health administration side, um, but are you doing any research? Do you feel like your university incorporates a lot of research and supports y'all with that. Um, how is that all going with research? So um, I most recently did a quality improvement project for spinal cord injury patients. Um, a lot of the times, especially during COVID, we were getting a ton of travel nurses. And um, of course, as we all know, right, that was really hard on a lot of hospital systems because we rely on um, nurses being almost specialized in, in their field, right? Like ICU nurses know the ICU really well. ER nurses know the ER really well. And similarly for rehab, we have rehab nurses that know kind of the things that we're doing. For example, spinal cord injury patients deal with things that a lot of other patients don't, like autonomic dysre dysreflexia. Um, brain injury patients deal with things like... Um, neuro neurostorming right or like paroxysmal sympathetic hyperactivity and those things are not seen a lot of the times on just the general acute side mostly because those brain injury and the spinal cord injury patients are have not yet really reached their um maybe like they're they're still the spinal cord injury patients are still like in spinal shock right so they're not quite presenting how they would chronically once they get to rehab so we were dealing with a lot of issues um, in regards to just knowledge and, and practice of spinal cord injury patients with travel nurses who had no experience in rehab. And so I created these pamphlets that um, kind of went through three main diagnoses or main problems in spinal cord injury being um, like autonomic dysreflexia, bowel, bowel programs, like how to do a bowel program and um, bladder programs. So like in and out casts, when to use a Foley, what volumes uh, you should insert a, a in and out cath for, things like that. And basically the quality improvement project was just like, how do these pamphlets perform and how do we increase nurses knowledge when they're not used to these types of patients? Um, and that's that project ended up being very, very successful. Um, we're actually going to end up print, probably printing those pamphlets out for the hospital. Um, and then another like resident in the class below me has kind of also taken on that project to help make it bigger. Um, and I think those are probably my favorite research projects are the quality improvement projects where you can actually see, you know, pretty quickly how well you can have an impact on your the system that you work in. Other research tends to be harder for me because you don't see that impact, right? You publish a paper and it goes out into the abyss and you hope that one day all of these things kind of combine together and someone does a lit review and 
of all, all of these studies and then it makes the impact. Um, definitely still a l of high importance, but the quality improvement projects just um, are very satisfying. I feel like that's a really good, if we have any like M1, M2s um, on here that are just like, how do I get into research? Because a lot of the times we think of research as like bench work or um, doing trials, things like that. But quality improvement projects are super, super important. And I feel like they're overlooked a lot of the times. So even if, you know, you're going through like a family med rotation or whatnot, you can, you know, see fall risks for the elderly in the community you're working with. Um, maybe see the opioid use, how that's affecting um, if you're doing like a physiatry rotation and their pain management, um, like pregnancy and carpal tunnel, see how that's related. Um, so I feel like that that's really cool that your project is um, being implemented in your hospital. Congrats. Thank you. And I also think that was, that's a really great point that you made, Leah. Um, I think people look for like the perfect research opportunity. And a lot of the times it's not going to happen. You kind of have to create it yourself. Um, and that's totally reasonable. It actually holds just as much credit as like doing a research study with whatever, with a residency program. Right. And so something I tell people a lot, especially if they don't have access to PM&R, but they want to do PM&R research is like, find something rehab related on the rotation that you're on. So maybe you're on an a cardiology rotation and you find someone with a unique cardiac pathology going through um, cardiac rehab, that is PM&R related, right? So you can write up that pay that case study. And yes, it's not on a PM&R rotation, but that's still just as beneficial, if not maybe more because you got a perspective from another angle. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just like one of, of many examples. You can find tons of rehab related research on other um, rotations that are not, not PM&R. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely great points and advice for people looking for research. Cause I know that's, uh, becoming more of a standard for applicants, um, for residency interviews, when you were interviewing or just looking back, um, do you have any questions that you wish you asked programs as you were like screening through which ones were your top or any questions you suggest that um, students interviewing ask their programs? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, definitely I would look at the program's website first and make sure that if you ask a question, it's either something about that's more in that you want more details on that's on their website, but I would make sure you're avoiding questions that are like verbatim answered on their website, right? You want to seem like you have already done a little of your own research and then you want more details. So you could even word it as like, hey, I read XYZ on your website. What do you guys mean by that? Or can you give me a real life example of that? Um, that will make you look really good because you'll be seeming like, hey, I actually read as much as I could and figured out as much as I could on my own. And I had this other question about it. Um, and then I think as far as questions go for your benefit, right? Because you're interviewing them too. One of my favorite questions was, um, what changes have you made in regards, like indirect uh, response to resident feedback? And I feel like that gives a really good insight into the culture of a program because we all hear that buzzword, right? Like, oh, the culture of the program, the culture of the program. No one really knows how to assess that without literally being in the program and working in the program. Like I can tell you the culture of 
my program now because I've been here for three years. But if you're just here for a month, you can sense it, but it's kind of hard to really, really know the nitty gritty. But asking that question, right? What changes have you made in response to resident feedback? That really tells you how much they listen to their residents. Um, and so like, I could give you multiple examples. Like we've changed our night float system. We've changed our call system. We've changed multiple rotations. We've completely changed rotation sites, like gotten rid of rotation sites and added on new rotation sites based on resident feedback and what residents wanted. Um, and so I think that gives you probably the most insight into culture, right? The culture of the program. Yeah, that's a great suggestion and definitely, yeah, gives insight on how much resident opinion is valued to attendings in the program. So. Um, I have another like little fun question. I mean, well, yeah, it's fun for me, but so social life kind of related. I know you mentioned you have a husband, um, you know, some of us single Pringles, which is like super fun too. like single life is amazing, but then others are, you know, in relationships, whether it's fiance, marriage, they have kids. Can you kind of talk about how you're navigating your relationship in residency? Um, maybe how that's changed, how, what tips you can give, especially, um, you know, it's important to have a good support system. So if you don't mind talking about that, you don't have to go super in depth, but I'd appreciate Yeah, that. absolutely. Um, I definitely think having support is is necessary. So whether you find that through friends, through family, through a significant other, um, identifying who is your support system is very important. I have friends who um, did not like know anyone where they were moving, right? And they didn't have a significant other. And so they teamed up with other residents in the same kind of situation and are roommates with them. Um, and that's worked out really well for a lot of my friends is when they kind of sought out um, other roommates that were also coming in as new, you know, interns or residents in a location, because then they could kind of figure things out together and lean on each other. Um, as far as like me personally, I was really lucky to meet my husband in medical school. And um, we, he was a year ahead of me. So he matched to residency before I did, we couldn't couples match. But um, we were fortunate enough to match only two and a half hours away. And a couple of th things, like two things in particular that I think we did that really helped us is the first is like we over communicate. Like and when I say over communicate, I really mean it. Like we will talk about the same thing like several times just to ensure that we're on the same page. Because a lot of the times, you know, things change too. Like you could talk about something one day and then two days later, someone changes their mind or someone feels differently um, or had a bad day at work and like now isn't isn't like doing well when they were doing well two days ago, right? So things change all of the time. And so we just have um, a very, very open communication in our relationship where nothing is off limits to talk about, right? Even if we've talked about it 15 times already. Um, and then the second thing I think that we did really helped, especially those of you who are um, also in relationships and maybe are gonna be long distance or are long distance, is we took every opportunity to talk to each other and to see each other, even if it meant making sacrifices in other aspects of our life. Um, of course, that's not for everybody. That is just my personal, like what we personally did. And everybody is going to be different. But to us, 
quality time is very important to one another. And we felt like we wouldn't have that support or feel that support in our relationship if we didn't have that. And so luckily we were only two and a half hours away from each other, but we're able to, like, if I only had a Saturday off, I made the drive there and back same day, right? Like I would drive there. We would hang out for that day. I would drive back. Sometimes I would go there when he would even have work because I was off and he would be working. I'd go have lunch with him at his job and then we'd have dinner when he got off and I would drive back. Right. And it stopped feeling so heavy because we would just do it. We just make the drive or like make the phone call every day after work. Or even though we felt so busy and like that wasn't feasible all the time, we just did it anyways. Um, And looking back, it was probably one of the best decisions that we made because we really were able to like hold on to each other's support um, instead of just kind of letting life take away all of our time together. That's so cute. And y'all met at TCOM too. That's awesome. We did. We did TCOMers. Um, Yeah, I think that's just really good relationship advice is just communication is key. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And I know we kind of all have those stress relievers as well. Um, Obviously, he's your support system. Um, When he's not there, what do you kind of do to help relieve stress? Anything that you do, like yoga, anything, or reading? Um, What's your, like, little safe haven? Yeah, so uh, one of the things that I love to do is yoga. I really didn't get to do it a lot during COVID because, you know, studios were shut down. And I'm, I guess, maybe high maintenance with yoga. Like, I'm just not as good at, like, sticking with it if I'm by myself. Like, I need a class. There's something about being in a room of other people and, like, hearing the sound. If you don't do yoga, this is going to sound super weird. But, like, hearing other people's, like, breath movements and, like, them breathing in and out with each movement. And, like, there's something so therapeutic about all being in your own journey in that room and separate, but together. Um, and so I love that, but I was never very good at doing yoga like on my own because I'd put on a video and then I'd be like, Oh, I don't have the energy for this. And I'd turn it off. Right. Versus like you're in the room with people you're motivated. So I would probably say the same thing. Like if you're a workout person and you're not having, you don't have the motivation to go to the gym on your own, like try a workout class. Cause sometimes it's really nice to just have external motivation. Um, or like, you know, there's, there's places like orange theory where like you paid $10 for the class and like, you're going to lose it if you don't show up. And so sometimes that's really helpful. Um, but I would say, especially during COVID when everything was shut down and I was just kind of relying on myself, the biggest thing was that I would just go for walks every day. I I lived across like a trail. And so I would just get out get my shoes, like get home from work, put my shoes on, go for a walk. And then I would really just do anything I felt like. So one of my favorite kind of like exercises to do would be um, to like my intent is just to go on a walk, but I do wear running shoes. So if I feel like it, I'll like maybe jog for a little and then I'll like stop and walk again. And then at some point I'll feel like it and maybe like stop and do some like burpees or pushups and then I'll walk again. And I just kind of stop and do like whatever I feel like doing. And sometimes I walk the whole time. Sometimes I like run most of the time. Sometimes I just end up doing a bodyweight workout, but I just kind of let myself do whatever I feel like. And really the only requirement is for me to be outside, you know, like doing something. And I found a lot of freedom in that because as silly as it sounds, we're told what to do all of the time in medicine. Like we're always told what to do. And sometimes 
you don't want to be told what to do in the gym or in a workout class. And you just want to be like doing whatever the heck you want. And I think that's where a lot of the times people end up not going to the gym or not going to work out because it's like, I don't want to listen to anybody anymore. I just want to do whatever I want. I want to feel a little rebellious. Um, and so I, I liked that. I liked just being like, I'm just going to go outside. And if I don't feel like doing anything, I'm just going to walk. And if I feel like doing something, I'll, I'll just do it on the walk. I love that. It's like a workout where you just follow your heart. Amazing. <laughs> exactly. Um, do you have any advice for people who just matched PMR going into their first year? Absolutely. Um, I think you just have to keep an open mind and take some, um, and this actually really goes to anyone who's going into a subspecialty, right? Where your first year is general, take some comfort in the fact that your first year is not in the specialty that you're going into because yes, that can be intimidating, right? But if you make the mindset mindset shift from this isn't the field and I don't know what I'm doing and this isn't even what I'm going into, so it's a waste of time, right? And instead you think, hey, this isn't what I'm doing. This is just a bunch of stuff to support my future, but there's really no pressure because I have backup. I have upper level residents. I have attendings. And I'm not really expected to like be able to do this as a full-fledged attending, right? I'm never going to be in the ICU when I'm an attending. I'm not going to be an orthosurgeon. I'm not going to be a neurologist, but I can just be here and learn and soak it all in. And when you make that mindset shift, you actually perform better on your rotations. You will do better work. You will learn more um, and like feel more energized when you leave because you're not putting all that mental pressure on yourself to be the absolute best. I actually found like I did better. Like whenever I made that mindset shift in my head, my attendings on these off-service rotations would be like, you did amazing. You did wonderful this month. And it was because I didn't feel so scared to be there, right? Um, and I, yeah, I'm all about mindset games, <laughs> like mindset shifts. I honestly think that's the best advice too for um, that I received at least, especially for third years, because PM&R is so specific, you know, if you're like diehard physiatry, you're kind of like, oh, why do I have to go through all these rotations? The best advice I ever heard was, okay, like you, you hate OB, whatever. This is like the only time you're going to be able to see a baby being delivered. You know what I mean? Like this is the yeah. times for a lot of these and at least ending my rotation soon. And Aria, I'm sure you're the same too, because you seem like such like a lovely person as well. Like, I, it's just like, I'm like, wait, I kind of like everything. And it's funny because I'm a yoga teacher too. And it's just like your mindset, like when you have that attitude, it really shows through your actions. And it's kind of confusing too, because you're like, well, I like so much. <laughs> but yeah, I totally get it. I totally get it. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely good to mention that for intern year, but then also for people rotating. Yeah, definitely. Mindset is everything. Mindset, girl. Mm. It really is. It really is. It must be the yoga in us. Hopefully other people understand that, but. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, Aria, do you have anything else that you want to add? Um, I think we covered most of it. Yeah. I know this has been um, like such a advice. Fun 50 minutes and it yeah. just flew by. Um, Doc, do you have anything else you want to kind of add to this to wrap things up? 
Um, I really just want to encourage everyone listening that like your path is going to be so different from the people next to you. Uh, and don't let that deter you or make you feel less than. Um, I have always been the person that had to study twice as hard as the person next to me to make the exact same grade as them. Or, you know, I, I have never felt like I learn the same as other people or that I necessarily even think the same as a lot of other people do. And that is a good thing, really. We need people in medicine who all think differently, who have different opinions, who are willing to, um, you know, stand up for what they believe in. And so really, like, you should not think less of yourself if you've struggled in med school or struggled as a pre-med or, like, didn't match to your top choice. I mean, like whatever your struggle was, it's only going to bring you more character um, and make you stronger as cheesy as it sounds. And you'll look back and, and really be proud of yourself and, and all of the things that you've overcome. Literally chef's kiss to the end. <laughs> that was amazing. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, do you want to shout out your Twitter, Instagram, TikTok? Yeah. Um, girl. Sure, sure. Let's do it. Um, I am Nicolette.life on all social media platforms except Twitter. Twitter, I'm Dr. Nicolette because they don't let you have like other characters in there. So um, Dr. Nicolette on Twitter and Nicolette.life on everything else. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for you guys. <laughs>